Welcome back to Cattleman U Podcast. We are again hearing from a few of the producers we work with in marketing their seed stock operations. Today, we have J.D. Folsom with Henry Fort Cattle in Idaho. Next, we have Mark DeVue with Diamond D. Angus here in Montana. And then we wrap things up with Mark Floyd, who has an operation here in Southwest Montana. We are excited to have J.D. joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for joining, J.D. You bet. Thanks for having me. Why don't we start with you just giving a little bit of background about your operation and what you've developed there in Idaho? We have a a spring registered herd and a fall herd as well. It's kind of a, it's mostly red Angus. We do have a fair bit of um, some red Simmental and we've used very selectively a little bit of limousine like just creating some hybrid like composite calves to go back and breed commercial cows but um yeah we're probably 75 percent red angus and then just a little bit of just those two continental breeds just to create some hybrids perfect and you sell some bulls in the spring is that correct yes yep so we this year we'll have uh, roughly 23 spring um or yearling bulls and i mean probably 50 50 as far as straight red angus versus uh the hybrid bulls and then we have oh i think we got 13 so 18 month old bulls as well and so when i do on those fall bulls i develop a few for um a friend of mine in oklahoma so there are i think there's five or six uh, black angus bulls there Perfect. And then you sold some females in the past. Is that going to be something that's part of your program long-term? Yeah. So every fall going forward, like after we ultrasound heifers, um, I'm going to have kind of, I mean, year to year depends on how many I'm going to offer, but yeah, every fall I'm looking to have some bread, bread heifers and some bread females for sale. I mean, all registered stuff. Perfect. What do you think sets your program apart? What are some of your breeding philosophies, production philosophies that kind of sets you apart in the market? One thing that definitely sets me apart is just the amount of data that we collect. I just feel like, I mean, obviously we still use like phenotype or like visual phenotype to make selections, but I feel like sometimes you got to take personal bias out and let numbers kind of help guide your choices. And so, I mean, we have a very comprehensive like herd management software we use and everything's recorded. And I draw on that highly to make decisions and and whatnot. And so I guess anything that I feel like will add value to the animals or or I guess to clients, like uh, we try to collect uh, that data on it. I mean, and that's like, I mean, pelvic measuring our females, um, we ultrasound as early as we can. So when we're selling bred females, we can just have accurate, uh, calving dates. I mean, we pap test all of the bulls, our carcass ultrasounded. And I mean, we still submit, uh, EPDs for genomics. Just this last year, we installed smart feed bunks. So the set of bulls that we're selling this spring will be the first set that we have feed efficiency data on. And so going forward, like I'll get feed efficiency data on all of my replacement females as well. And so I, just, I mean, anything that I feel like adds value just creates a, just, I mean, a better end product uh, I'm all about. And so. 
Perfect. How did you get into the seed stock business? Kind of what's the background on that? Well, I grew up on just a commercial cow-calf yearling operation. And um, so I'm a veterinarian by trade. And initially, like out of vet school, I bought my first registered cow, honestly, simply just to have animals to practice um, embryo work on. And so, I mean, that's kind of how it all started about uh, six years ago. So, I mean, we're a newer program, but the program has basically been been built with high-end genetics using embryo transfer and, and whatnot. And so, I mean, that's kind of how it all started. You do a lot of embryo work and um, you do a lot of it in your own herd, which is definitely a benefit. And I think that you can see some of the the progression in the genetics a lot faster with that embryo work. Do you think that the industry as a whole has really tapped into embryo work as much as you have? It seems like it's very different from just operation to operation. I mean, I feel like in the past few years, you've seen lots of operations that have dispersed their cow herds and they're 100% doing it through embryo transfer. They have cooperator herds that They'll put their embryos in those herds. They'll buy those calves back. And so like, I just think it's, it completely depends on the goals of the operation. I know for me, um, I feel like I've been able to make leaps and bounds doing it. And so, um, yeah, I feel like it's been, been really beneficial. I mean, some of these guys that have been, been breeding for, for the last 50 years, they might not, might not feel the need to do it. But I know for um, somebody starting out, it's, it's a quicker way to get the right genetics just throughout your herd. I completely agree. And I think the technology is really cool. Actually, when I was in Australia in college, um, I worked with the largest Angus producer and he did co-op herds. He had co-op herds all over. And um, I see the seed stock industry heading that way in the US, but I think we can we can have the good cows really make a big difference with embryo work. Oh yeah, absolutely. And everybody's herd has them. I mean, you'll have those cows that, I mean, you've got a whole herd of good cows, but then there's always a handful of those just elite cows that, I mean, they just never miss. I mean, why not capitalize on that and, um, and create, I mean, more of those animals. It seems as if the red Angus female side is still super hot and it looks like it should be for several years. Do you think that's because we have less red Angus females that are going to market or are people just starting to realize the potential of a good red female? You know, I'm not exactly sure. I, I'm sure it's a combination of a few things. I do think, I mean, it doesn't seem like you see as many of those red females marketed. And so the ones that are, it seems like they're pretty sought after. But I know, so I mean, I did a lot of schooling in Oklahoma, and it seems like the reds are getting even more and more popular down that way. I think just with a red hide, they handle the heat a little bit better. And so I, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly, I guess, why the the popularity, but I mean, it seems like the ones that are marketed are, are pretty highly sought after. Great. This has been great to hear about your program. Is there any other thing that you would like someone to know about your program? And if not, where's the best place they can connect with you? So, I mean, we do have a website out now. It's just henrysforkcattleco.com. Yeah, jump on there. You can, you can request a catalog. Yeah, and if you have any questions, feel free. I mean, my email's on there. Um, my phone number's on there. So yeah, feel free to reach out and ask any questions and I'll do my best to answer them.
And the other thing I'll add is if you're in the area, you know, if you're in JD's area, don't hesitate to give him a call and go out and look at the bulls. I do think that still is a vital piece of this private treaty market is going and looking at the cows, looking at the bulls and really getting a feel for the operation. Yes. Yep. The bulls are, yep. They're right there. They're close by and uh, they're yeah. Always available for viewing. Yeah. Just let me know and we'd be happy to show them to you. Okay. Perfect. We will put your information in the show notes. Thanks so much for chatting. Thank you. We have Mark with us from Diamond D. Angus, and we are excited for you guys to learn a little bit about Mark and his program. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thank you, Caroline. Why don't you start and tell us a little bit about your program, what you have to offer? Well, we have an annual sale in December, and uh, this last year was the first year it was 100% online. We plan to do that again next year. It worked quite well. We have customers scattered across the United States and Canada, so it did work well for the customers that many of them aren't able to attend the sale anyway, but they were able to do their own bidding online, and, and it seemed to work very well. So that's that's held in December every year, and uh, we sell about 100 forage-developed bulls and about 100 bred females now I say 100 forage developed bulls, I think that's a very important thing. If you've never used a forage developed bull, I've never talked to anybody that was disappointed that they did that. They, they do hold their condition much better. They stay sounder, no, no feet ruined due to hot feed. They're able to breed more cows. We do sell long yearlings. They're about 18 months old when we sell them in December. So of course they're close to two years old or maybe even a little over two years old when people actually use them. So they are very durable and able to cover more heifers or more cows, whatever you use on them. Great. For those commercial cattlemen who are listening, who might not understand the technical definition of forage developed, can you go into that a little bit? Well, it means no starch at never at any point in their life. And this goes along with all of our cattle. None of our cattle ever get any starch of any kind. It's all just 100% either grazing green grass with maybe some alfalfa or whatever they forage or hay. The bulls are fed hay a good share of their their life from weaning time on. They are fed grass hay. At one point, we did feel that when we first started forage development, this has been close to 20 years ago, we felt that we needed to get them out. And uh, it was a nightmare, over 100 bulls out, you know, and trying to get them all, make sure they all was stayed in place. And But uh, anyway, so we did resort, we did that for two years, and then we did resort to, they are uh, sorted into four different pens and in large lots and just fed grass hay and that's the way they're developed from weaning time on so i guess we do sort them they run together as a big group from weaning time till about april we do wean oftentimes we'll wean that first week in january because we calve in the in the spring this year we did wean in in december due, due to the dry conditions and circumstances talk to me a little bit about your guys's decision to sell long yearlings in the fall versus yearling bulls or even two-year-old bulls that next spring? 
A, we wanted to calve in the spring. We, we felt it was very important to calve in the spring. Labor's hard to find. Our herd was large enough, and we just didn't have the facilities. And as we got older, and it just made a lot more sense to calve in the spring. So when we calve in May, you, you just can't sell yearling bulls, uh, you know, in, in, in March or the, the next spring, they're less than a year old. And, uh, and the forage development of them, we want also did want to forage develop them. I've always felt that that was a better way to go for bulls. I don't have anything against feedlots for what I call terminal cattle, any cattle that is for seed stock or for, you know, uh, for cow calf operations. I think it's very important to develop your cattle on what they will continue to eat as they age and, and, and are mature. So I believe once, once fed any starch, whether it be a corn or barley or whatever grain it may be, that they need to be fed that their entire life. I believe it has negative effects in their digestive system. I learned that many, many years ago, that if any animal is fed starch, you have to, it, they have little tentacles in their digestive system that it, that it destroys. And so once fed a starch, they always have to be fed a starch and for any of the animals reproducing, it just doesn't make sense to, to feed grain to them. So if you've never purchased forage developed bulls, what are some benefits that they're going to see the first time they buy a bull and put it out with their cows? Well, the, these bulls, will, they stay in better condition. They may, when you buy them, you know, they do develop slower, but the condition that they have on them, that they maintain, oftentimes they either maintain or even possibly gain weight as two-year-old bulls in their first breeding season. And they just never put themselves in a situation to where they're in a losing weight situation, uh, or at least not losing very much. You hear oftentimes these bulls develop, you know, and uh, I hear it all the time that they, they are trying to reach their gain potential or their genetic potential, you know, or testing their genetic potential. Well, you can do the same thing with forage. You know, you can compare one to another if, if that is important to you. But anyway, these bulls, their feet will hold up way better and uh, they last more years total, able to cover more cows. Our vet semen tests a lot of bulls around the country, and he, he just, he's, he says these forage developed bulls, the motility is second to none. Uh, we, we just have almost no bulls ever fail. They're more mature and they're just ready to go to work. And it's just a way, way better uh, way of developing these bulls. Absolutely. Talk to me a little bit about the numbers. So EPDs, your thoughts on the EPDs and the data that you have on these bulls and kind of how you built the foundation of your program. Well, anybody that knows us and knows our program, we, we have not been a big fan of breeding on EPD numbers and probably never will be. More than probably we won't be. I believe breeding for numbers, I think uh, for terminal cattle is probably fine and it might be a smart thing to do. When you're breeding maternal cattle, 
EPD numbers, at least in the past, and they are moving somewhat in, in, in the direction of trying to measure some maternal trait, but in the past, they've measured almost all terminal traits. And if you breed, and anytime you put a number on something, it's, it's human nature for people to want the biggest and the best. And for many years, and sometimes you still do, see, you know, that uh, uh, people are in the top 1% or the top 10% in a certain trait and stuff. But anyway, to me, that's a more of a negative thing than a positive thing. I believe if you focus most of your attention towards terminal traits, you won't have maternal cattle. Cattle that will last, the longevity is, is extremely important to us. When we go to uh, choose a herd sire, we want to know what the mother and the grandmother on both sides of the pedigree. And the more, the more old cows that show up in that pedigree, the better. And, you know, as long as it's a proven good, good old cow, if that old cow's in, in multiple times, the results are, are really locked in. And uh, as far as what this bull will go to produce his daughters and will be more trouble-free and just less feet problems, less udder problems, more fertility. They, they just last longer. And um, the longevity is, is such a huge, huge thing anymore. I believe EPD numbers have had negative effects on the longevity. Angus cattle were famous for, for maternal traits. And, and now I believe at least mainstream Angus has, has went really in the terminal direction and especially the cattle that's been bred for EPD numbers. There's there's other good good maternal cattle out there other than ours, but the mainstream and the majority of the Angus, it, I believe, has done it. The EPD numbers have done a huge amount of damage when it, when you take in consideration that they used to be the most one of the noted for maternal trait. They are, uh, in my opinion, they're not. They have a, they have a lot of functional problems and uh, feet, other uh, problems and things like that. It seems to me that we are adding EPDs every year. I mean, I know we are because there are some things we're trying to tie down to a number that we just simply may not be able to. Correct. One of the things that I've felt very strongly about, and there are certain breeds out there that do have this, if you had some sort of stability or some sort of longevity number, would be so valuable. It, it, it'd mean more, in my opinion, more than all the rest of the numbers if you're wanting to breed maternal cattle. But the reality of it is, up until here a few years ago, there was no number in, in the Black Angus breed that, that even measured any type of maternal. You had your dollar EN, which, which is cost savings uh, per cow per year, which, you know, I think has some value. Anyway, we, we just, we, we've been doing this deal for a long time, over 50 years, and we just breed for what works. Uh, you know, they don't just have to have a calf every year. I, I want them to have our goal is to wean 50% of their own body weight, you know, so of course we're running moderate frame cows and, you know, not all of them always wean 50% of the body weight. But anyway, that's our goal. Some of them, especially the younger ones that haven't reached their mature weight, 
they, they do over that. Some some of the prime age cows, sometimes they will do a little bit less than that. But they still, we still look at wean ratios. And if a cow just is weaning a runt calf every year, of course, she doesn't stick around either. But it's a no excuse. Anything that doesn't come back bred or bad feet, bad udder. I made a a promise to myself there that, uh, that if any cow at calving time that I ever had to help uh, the calf suck because of the cow's udder wasn't in good good or the teeth size was too big that that cow would never calve on the ranch again and I've stuck by that for for many many years and we basically help no calves at birth get get nursed you know of course we're calving when it's when it's warmer weather we we will get a storm or something like that periodically in, in May and a calf will get cold or something and uh, you know and the cow udders just fine but the calf would maybe give up or something and I, I'd help that but uh Anyone that uh, that the udders too big, they're gone. And same with feet and fertility. If they don't come back bred, they're gone. So anyway, and we've been doing this for a lot of years. So anyway, you 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 do it for enough years, enough generations, and you start stacking those good old cows like we do in them pedigrees. Then the outcome is just virtually certain on what the bulls will do. They will produce daughters that that are the same. That is something about your program is you have good solid cows stacked on both sides of your pedigree. And I think it gives a lot of confidence in the program to know that what you are buying is exactly what you see. And if it made it to your sale, there's a reason. Yes, that's correct. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? I know you have a website and some social media and how they could get a hold of you if they're interested. Okay. We do have a website, uh, just www.diamonddangus.com. We do have a Facebook page. Caroline helps with Facebook, uh, and we do do a fair amount of Facebook advertising for the sale. We don't do a huge amount of advertising. We're concentrating more on the, like Facebook and social media type stuff. Uh, it seems to be working well. They're always welcome to come to the ranch. We'd love to show the cow herd any time of the year. We do get a fair amount of traffic, uh, sometimes, uh, well, year-round, so people traveling through. And we live uh, about a, oh, 100 miles out of Glacier Park. So in the summertime, we get a fair amount of visitors going to Glacier Park. And we appreciate that, people taking the time and coming to see our herd. And so, uh, you know, we're, we are very proud of the cow herd. Absolutely. Mark is a great guy. And I think one thing that commercial cattlemen need to strive to do is to go look at the herds where they're buying bulls. So if you happen to be in Mark's area, call him, see if you can drive through those mother cows. I think seeing those cows with their working clothes on during the off season, right? Not just the time near the sale, but during the off season gives you an idea about what you'll be delivering, what those bulls will do in your herd. And so I think that's super important and Mark would love to have you. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. Thank you. I am so excited to be here with Mark today. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Carolyn. Why don't you start a little bit and tell us about your operation and a little bit about your guys' history? 
All righty. Thank you. I'm Mark Boyd with Boyd Angus Ranch. We're based out of Alder, Montana, Southwest Montana. We run a purebred Angus cow herd and we market bulls every spring beginning in January, as well as a commercial cow herd. They are run in mountain pasture, kind of above the Virginia City Ennis area in the summer. It's arid and averages about 7,000 feet in elevation. They're brought down in the fall, finished off in uh, hay meadows, and then we feed hay over the winter. The, uh, the bulls are weaned in September. They're brought down earlier. We calve beginning about the 1st of February. Our breeding philosophy on our cows is kind of just to develop the optimal Angus cows and calves for the commercial cowman in our area, which is a high cost environment and kind of needs the whole package. We really emphasize the maternal side on our cows. We're a family operation, so we do a lot of the work ourselves. We calve out the cows ourselves, so uh, I think that gives us some advantage over some some larger operations in that we know our cow herd pretty intimately. We can eliminate issues that you may not be familiar with if you're not the one out there calving those cows. If you see a bag issue or feed issues or anything like that, we take care of that pretty quickly and a lot haven't had much issue with any of that kind of thing for a lot of years. While we emphasize the maternal side, we also, I think, um, while it's a common kind of buzzword, we really do emphasize performance. Our average weaning weight on our bulls this year was over 790 pounds in September. And that's mostly February-born calves, a few March. Um, last year, it was 815 pounds. The uh, I find that cows that they if they're easy fleshing and kind of easy keeping they can raise those calves we haven't kind of gone gone with the lower birth weight side of things i think that's that's partly what helps us but uh those cows they they have a lot of pelvic area and they have a lot of a lot of hind quarter to them and i think that transfers over into their calves and that transfers over to wide calves with a lot of muscle that wean really well so that's that's kind of our philosophy it's we we care about the basics a lot and we run in what we consider a fairly standard environment for western montana and try and try and run like our customers do you mentioned something interesting that i don't think we talk about enough we are seeing some bigger operations use a you know a model where they send out embryos or send out cows and have someone else calve them and so talk to me a little bit about kind of performance and what you look for on the female side to get that performance? I look for, I suppose, I mean, it all starts with with the cow. If you have enough, if you have the right genetics in your cow herd and enough performance built into your cow herd, the bull you breed to doesn't make as big of a difference. I'm a big believer in that at least 60% of those genetics on that you get in your calf crop are coming from the cows. And we don't emphasize, like I said, the lighter birth weight so much. Um, we don't pull calves very often. We might pull one every few years out of the cows and not very many out of the heifers. Uh, something the night calvers that we hire have in the past 20 years have all commented on. They're docile, easy-keeping cows, and they're easy calving. But getting getting a little birth weight in there, 80, 90-pound birth weights, that I think that you know, it sounds like, oh, only 10 or 20 pounds difference in that birth weight as opposed to a 60-pound calf. But if you look at it in terms of a percentage, if that calf's born 20% heavier than, than a lighter birth weight calf, I've found 
pretty consistently that transfers over to another 10 or 20 percent at weaning time um, as far as calving out our own cows and the the advantage is that that contains uh, and really getting to know your own cow herd i think there's there's some issues i've encountered even in ai bulls and seen in other herds where if you have cows with udder issues when does that udder issue show up it's usually before she's been nursed or sucked out maybe those tits get a little bigger than they should be something like that and if you're not the guy out with the cows having to deal with that which a lot of commercial guys are but if you're out there just kind of looking at the calves later in the year, or once they've been born and the cow's been sucked out and that tit shrunk up, you're not going to notice issues like that. I think that's so somewhat why we see some of those those kind of issues that I think should have been eliminated a long time ago that are persistent in the Angus breed. Tell me a little bit about the format of your sale and how you guys sell bulls. Okay, the uh, it's private treaty. I like that format a lot. I'd be hesitant to leave it just because that allows us to work with our customers on so much more of a personal level. We can help them pick out a group of bulls that they need um, that fit what their operation's looking for. Spend an hour or two walking through the bulls with them and and kind of figuring out what they're looking for to improve their cow herd or whether it's weaning weights or on the maternal side. And as well well as cater to when when they have an opening in their schedule. Uh, we've moved back to uh, to beginning selling in January just because I know me personally, I'd like to go to more spring sales and just evaluate the bulls that are out there. But but when you're calving in February or March, it can be tough to make it to a bull sale. So being able to meet with people in, in January and have them walk through the bulls. And I think there's also some advantages, especially with yearling bulls before they get into that March, April time where they, you get to see what the calves actually look like. I think that's, that's one of my least favorite thing about things about two-year-old bulls. Once they've been in a feedlot for a year, all winter, uh, there's not too many bulls that don't look good. And so getting to see them when, before they've reached that yearling age and just right around when I think they're, they're kind of hitting puberty, you got to get to see what that bull actually looks like, how he's actually made structurally and, uh, and he's not covered in, in a thick layer of fat quite yet. Absolutely. How many bulls do you guys market each year? Um, I think in our catalog this year, we had just under 30. We sell a few more than that. Um, varies year to year. It's usually uh, right around 30, low 30s. We have cut down from what we were doing in the past with just because it, it allows us to kind of offer a premium product rather than selling 50 bulls or 55 bulls if they're not right on the top end in terms of performance and if there's anything about their dam that we don't like we do a lot of rounds of of cutting bulls we'll cut some at branding we cut them at most of them at weaning or before shipping and uh and then we'll cut several over the winter just to make sure that the bulls we do have for sale are are the best of the best Absolutely. So tell our listeners where they can connect with you and learn more about your program. 
Sure. We, uh, we have a website, boydangus.com. That should have our contact info and is one of the easiest things since you can just find it on Google. We also have a Facebook, Boyd Angus Ranch, and an Instagram, Boyd Angus Ranch, that we try and keep updated and you can kind of follow along with our operation. Those are, those are the best ways. And you can find my email, a cell phone number, as well as, as my dad's. And you can, we're always happy to take calls and answer any questions about our operation and how we develop and the cattle and the bulls. So we're always happy to take those calls. And, and of course, the, the best thing is, is when people stop by and actually want to look at the cattle. Absolutely. There's nothing better, I think, than getting out and looking at the cattle and um, really making sure that you study them. And I think seeing that mother cow in that environment makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's tough to get away. Um, we're all busy, and and uh, it's it's tough to and and being just by nature of the industry, we tend to be located fairly far apart. But if you can actually get out and look at your seed stock producers' cows and get an idea what their cows look like, because that's that's what you're bringing into your operation, I'd highly recommend it. Perfect. Is there anything else you would like to talk about or mention before we wrap up? Nope. That's thanks for the opportunity to chat about our operation a little bit. Appreciate it, Carol. Yep, absolutely. They have good bulls in um, good country in Montana. And so as you guys drive by, don't hesitate to give them a call and go out and see what they have to offer. Thank you, Mark. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Carol. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cattleman U podcast. And remember, the grass is greener where you water it.